0: today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers 129-112 Game 5 victory to close out the series against the Washington Wizards. The news that Joel Embiid has a slight tear in the meniscus of his right knee, what we saw from the Sixers without Joel Embiid, and what to look for in the upcoming second round series against the Atlanta Hawks. Enjoy the podcast. Alright, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We have a, well, we have a 129-112 a to 112 win, which <clears throat> gave the Sixers a 4-1 to win over the Washington Wizards in the first round of the playoffs. We have another Joel Embiid medical update, because of course we do, it feels like we get that email way too regularly, and we have a new second-round opponent. I guess, first of all, how you doing, Rich? And then second of all, where would you like to start?
1: I'm great, man. It's, uh, it's been a wild 48 hours. I would say in not just Sixers land, but you know, with all of the crazy stuff that's happening, I would just say in basketball. Uh, but yeah, the Sixers are, are part of that. And, uh, I guess let's start with the positive. Like, you know, I I think we're going to get to Joel's injury, which sucks. And we'll, we'll kind of delve into what we think for the, uh, upcoming series and what that means. But look, as much as that sucks, feel good win last night. Just you don't have the MVP or MVP finalist, not going to win MVP. Uh but you don't have your best player and you still outclass that team who, you know what? One more time. The Washington it, Wizards? It stink. Yeah, they stink. But f- feel good win with just pretty much everybody playing well up and down the roster uh Crowd was really into it. It was a uh it was a good night.
0: It was. And it was a pretty close first half. Uh Washington held the lead for most of it. Sixers came out there in that third quarter, uh, and really the entire second half, but mid to late third quarter blew the doors off of them, held a double digit lead for the entirety of the fourth quarter, and really played good basketball. Um, I think there are a number of storylines. You know, I think obviously Seth Curry drops thirty on like seventeen shots. Um he hit a number of of really good, tough shots, shots that We've been begging for him to take all year. He took them. He made them um, 10 for 17 from the field. Ben Simmons joked that uh, they have a he and Curry have a post shoot around pre-nap gaming session where they're playing Call of Duty Warzone. He said, I need 30 out of you. If we get 30, we'll get the W. Uh, He got 30 on the dot. So Seth Curry stepped up in a big way. Ben Simmons had a, a real good game. 19, 10 and 11 triple double. Had some mismatches where I thought he did a good job of attacking that he was turning on previously. Sometimes where he had ish switched on him, uh, and he took advantage of it and also got out in transition. Tobias Harris with a super efficient twenty-eight on nine for seventeen, all good performances. And maybe the 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 one most notable, certainly the most exciting, um, was Tyrese Maxey. Uh, not a an analytical darling in that game, thirteen points yeah. on fourteen shots. But boy, did he give you a jolt of energy in the second quarter when it looked like. There was a chance Washington could pull away um, so I thought they needed that as well and even even if he is not going to be so super efficient he is showcasing that uh, a he's got the skills and B he's not afraid of the moment which was nice to see
1: it was really funny how excited sixers Twitter the whole arena was for Maxi like just gushing over well, this kid well, and I
0: what he does is exciting
1: oh I and I completely agree with you and it it gives the team not only a new dimension with the speed, but it just gives the crowd energy, I would say. It just energizes sure. the, the whole team. But it, it was pretty funny where people were gushing over this kid. And I look at my ESPN box score on my computer, and I see one of four for yeah. two points with one <laughs> <Yeah>. assist.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's part of the thing. Like He came out, and he was super aggressive, but not really making the shots. And people were excited about it. And then he sort of torn, turned it on where he was actually converting a lot of those drives. Um, so it went from exciting to, to helpful. Uh, yeah, but so I guess just a general recap, where would you like to start among that, uh, among that win?
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that with Maxi, The, the wrong footed finishes are a lot of fun. I, I had a question for you though. Were you a big gamer?
0: I used to be much bigger, uh, than I am now. Yeah. Um, back in high school, college, which we don't need to go into how long ago that was. But as I've started, I, I sort of lost a lot of it when I did like the two job thing there for a little while. Um, it was one of the things that, that went away. I don't console game as much. I will still pull out a uh, Civilization. Has always been my my drug of choice. I play that still, and I play some racing games. Uh, I have a, actually a little little bit, little F one.
1: Like a, a little games? bit. I have
0: a I have an old um, not really an old, but I have a a steering wheel uh, setup which is pretty dorky, <laughs> but also pretty fun. Put Very that, dorky. You, you put that in a VR goggles, and it's a, it's it's pretty fun. I do a lot of simulation in terms of I. So one of my other hobbies is flying drones, so I do a lot of drone simulations and drone racing, and but not as much as I used to. I don't do – I don't first-person shooter quite as much. If I play a video game now, it's largely something strategy-based like Civilization. Anyway, anyway. God,
1: I, I was so bad at Call of Duty. Like, in those multiplayer games, the – the the kill count versus the the death count. I, I was always on the negative side of that ledger, just getting smoked by probably some like 12 year old on yeah, the other side sure. of, of the screen who was just, just killing me. I have been uh, waiting,
0: The one exception, I wanted to play red dead when it came out for the computer. I don't know if that has happened yet. Uh, I should probably follow up on that. That was the one I wanted to try to get into if I had time, but anyway,
1: the, uh, yeah. And I, so I guess over that gaming session that, uh, that those two had, it, it, it was, you know, Doc joked about it afterwards, like at least somebody got through to Seth, which is funny. I mean, the, the whole thing whenever Doc talks about Seth is funny just because that's his son-in-law and it's like, wait, you can't get through to this guy because it's kind of a big deal. I mean, I, I remember back in March when, you know, it was like a random game in Cleveland. Doc said about Seth, yeah, he turns down more open shots than anybody on the team, which a yeah, is true, but it's funny considering, you know, Doc goes on the, you know, don't, don't bring up Ben Simmons turning down shots to Doc. You know, he'll bite your head off if you have the, the gall to mention that he got, uh, he got hacked at the end of that game. So it's just, you know, it's, it's a different kind of coaching style, I guess, or media style with Doc. But, you know, for a lot of this season, like Seth Curry has been, he's been helpful in terms of the, the gravity, like that trade that they made, Josh Richardson, the second round pick for Seth is good, but it's always been frustrating. Like, shoot the ball, man. Yeah. You know, like he, you're an elite shooter. Stop turning down these semi-decent looks. And, you know, I thought it was really, as far as like, I thought everybody leveled up to a certain extent last night because when Joe is out, everybody's got to pick up the slack. But if, you, if you're making me pick one person who probably upped their game the most, I would say it was Seth Curry because yeah. he came out. They were running more offense through him than they have the entire season. He had—it's weird to say—he had a size mismatch against Howell Neto, where he could actually like kind of bully him to the rim on some of these drives. And by the way, it's crazy to say—I think Seth Curry might have a size mismatch yeah. in this next series yep. as well. Yeah, uh, he might even have more of a size mismatch where bully ball Seth Curry drives could be a part of not one but two playoff series. It was just—it was just a great game. Like he—he he took some you know shots that he wouldn't have been taking early in the season they they really got the dho game going with the center playing simmons A- and he was he was awesome man it was uh you know i always feel good for seth when uh he always gets overshadowed by steph and, and steph having these great games so you know for S- steph to be out of the playoffs and seth to kind of have his shine now that was uh that was an awesome game sure yeah it was um And I guess real quick, because you brought it up, the
0: difference in Doc's reaction to him turning down shots for Simmons, everybody is real eager to talk about Simmons being more aggressive when he's aggressive. Like, when Simmons takes shots and punishes people, Doc and Joel every time will say, yeah, that's what we need out of him. Or, yeah, it was good to see him take advantage of those. We don't need to go too deep into Simmons here, but they do need him to be more aggressive. And last night was a good example. It was a better performance than Game 4 when Joel was out. Um, He was still off the ball a lot but I thought he first half wasn't as great. Yeah. No, uh, but I thought he found a way to make an imprint in that second half. Um.
2: As you all know, by now we've teamed up with bet MGM this season. We'll be using the bet MGM lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for bet MGM yet, use the bonus code TA basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus 21 plus to wager. Visit MGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana... In Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. This is this is a
1: case where it's good that we didn't do a pod after game four because yes. Doc was annoying me after that game. Yeah, I know. But b- biting people's heads off. Because guess what? I'm sorry like the, the the evidence is that it has not worked whatever you're doing with the media and w- whatever you can you could try and bite our heads off and people can say wow you're defending your guy well you know Brett challenged him last year that didn't work in terms of like getting a jump shot but Ben had a better offensive season last season so that's but that, that, that this is idea like- that this idea that Doc is like the master motivator um I, I'm not buying sorry
0: That is honestly, I think, the part, because there's a whole lot of this Simmons conversation. And and quite frankly, I'm not even so focused on Simmons um, shooting or not shooting as foul shooting struggles because that is sort of a known commodity. That's I don't expect to change for the playoffs. I am a little more focused on Doc's handling of it. But I think so much of what this conversation has gone about, it's masked that I don't think Doc has done a real good job of putting Ben in a spot where he can succeed. And, you know, I think and not only... Like, grow and become a better version of himself, but even just be the version of him that he was in previous years. I don't think Doc has done a good job of making use of his skill sets, or at least as good of a job as he could have.
1: That's my general point, in that Doc has done a lot of things well this year. I would just say, like, the general organization of the team last night, perfect example. Like, have, have a night where, okay, you struggled in game four when Joe went out, nobody had a good game, it was a nightmare experience you know their plane broke down afterwards like just everything went this shit it on monday dust yourself up a, on tuesday have a practice get organized and they were organized and and i think that is where doc has succeeded but, but ben is the one area where uh yeah i don't know it's, it's not great I, i'm also not too worried about the hacking
0: no uh it worked it worked one game a little bit in game four only a little bit quite frankly it maybe cost them a point or two over what you would you would hope for in that situation. It did not work in game five. Simmons went three for four and, and Brooks ran out of it pretty quickly. And Brooks is probably the one who's going to do it the most. You know, I do think the, um, the rules that they changed a couple of years ago, it used to be only in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter. Could you not commit those off ball intentional fouls? Now it is too much of any quarter. So it's a little tougher to do an extended run of that. But I, you know, it is look the, When the other coach is intentionally fouling your point guard to put him on the line of a tie basketball game, and also you can't let that point guard then hold the ball down to stretch, handle the ball down the stretch, that is a a factor in the loss. That is a factor that can be exploited in future playoff series. It has to be brought up. And I don't think any of the questions that we asked were out of line. You know, I thought Kevin Kincaid made a slight mistake where he just, he asked, like, did you think about taking Ben out? And he didn't specify for, like, that 45-second stretch of the fourth quarter. And Doc sort of ran with it. Like, what, do you want me to bench Ben the whole game when nobody's actually making that argument? Uh, but other than that, the other questions Doc was asked was, um you know, do you need him to be more aggressive when Joel's out? And by the way, Joel has constantly said, like, yes, Ben, be more aggressive. And then the other question was, like, hey, he hasn't been shooting free throws for a while now. What can you do as a coach to boost up his confidence and get him back? Like, those were not, Out-of-line questions. And look, do I frankly care if Doc yells at us in the media? No, not really. I do think there's a way to do that without basically... Honestly, my my biggest take of this isn't really Doc. It is whenever we talk about Simmons, everything is a straw man. It's unbelievable. That was a... Like, Doc was... He committed a complete straw man where... Well, what? Do you just want me to take him out of the whole game? Like, no. Legitimately, nobody is saying that. And you can't have a conversation about Simmons, about his strengths, about his weaknesses without those straw men completely distracting you from it. And those are, that statement is done to make it really easy to refute, to make it really easy to look like the other side is ridiculous and that of line. When really there is nuance everywhere. And I think my biggest reaction to that is doc, you can, you can defend your player without making every fan who is concerned about Simmons free throw shooting feel like an idiot. And I think that was where he took a misstep, but,
1: Whatever, there, whatever. There, there's a fine line between sticking up for your guy, not throwing him under the bus, and whatever Doc is doing. But again, does it have any effect on the Sixers, like, whether he's nice to us or not? No. No. But it's not working, whatever he's doing behind the scenes with Ben either, is my no. kind of other point. Like, he's, he's largely the same guy, which, by the way, he's the same guy who had... I would say four monster games in in the wins, yep. you know. And he battled foul trouble. You you want to say that the seven point, fifteen rebound, fifteen assist game? If that's not a monster game, fine. The other three are monster games. And frankly, like those stats are crazy anyway. Um, It is. Look, this is not. And we we have said this. The first round is not the the ultimate test of Ben Simmons. He uh he has already passed that uh, that test. And it was funny. Like there was one play in the third quarter. Or he had Ish Smith on him, and he was hesitating, like he was dribbling the ball out on top. And George Hill was the other guard out on top. And he pointed at him like, dude, go. What are yeah. you doing? He's a foot shorter than you. And by the way, he went, and he he kind of Euro-stepped and found Dwight. And Dwight is a great free-throw shooter all of the sudden. So, uh yeah, it was, you know, honestly, like, he could have scored 40 points in all of these games, though. He, that, taking those smaller guards to the basket and just doing a simple Euro-step, we're not even talking about high degree of difficulty hook shots. These are just kind of easy running bank layups. Uh and he was like, look, in the first half he was he was a little passive for my taste, but you look at the end of the night that was was an excellent performance by Ben. He did what he was supposed to do. He was a lot was going to be asked of him in that game and like Tobias and like pretty much everybody else. He uh he stepped up. Look, there will be moments coming here in the next couple of weeks
0: where an opponent is going to try to get away with putting a bad defender, a small defender on Ben, he needs to be able to punish that when that happens. It doesn't mean you want him to score 40 a night. It doesn't mean he has to become a high-volume three-point shooter. It doesn't mean he has to shoot jumpers off the dribble. They will be a better team if Ben consistently attacks those mismatches. They will be a better team if Ben makes his free throws. Do I expect him to all of a sudden become a good free throw shooter here in the coming weeks? No, but don't, like, it is an issue. When it, that issue is, is then exploited, we have to talk about it. That doesn't mean he's not good in other facets. That doesn't mean he's not a good player. That doesn't mean he's a net negative. You can have these nuanced conversations without being straw manned to death. Um, yep. And that, that is my only, whatever. It's, it's, it, it's a frustration. that yeah. it is a frustrating part of the Simmons debate now for years, for years. And Doc's only been a part of it for a little bit. So I think it was more that Doc tapped into something that has been annoying me for quite a while. And that's largely based on online discourse. Anyway, yeah. anyway, we don't Sixers want a freaking series.
1: Doc right. is very online. He's got a he's got a Twitter and an Instagram profile that I'm pretty sure he never uses.
0: Yeah, so. no, he, he I'm pretty sure he only tweets and that's very rarely. Uh, yeah. All right. So in terms of Joel. He had a where's the official release an MRI, which was reviewed by several orthopedic specialists, revealed that Joel Embiid has a small lateral meniscus tear in his right knee. The injury will be managed with physical therapy and treatment program. Embiid is out for game five. This came out before game five versus Washington and considered day to day. Sucks. uh, Look, it, it sucks for Joel in a big way. Like he came in, he's never really been healthy coming in the playoffs. Of course, the first year he, Markel Fultz's shoulder obliterated his eye socket. He had to wear a mask even when he came back. Uh, the second year against uh, Toronto, he had the uh, knee problems. Um, he's never truly been healthy and in perfect shape coming into the playoffs. He, he, was, he was healthy.
1: He was healthy last year, and the team sucked.
0: Yeah, the team barely counts as a playoff run when you lose all four by a million. He was healthy for really the first extended playoff run of his career. He was dominant. He was in shape. That lasted three games. Now look. Do I think he's, and it is almost impossible to talk about this and not talk about 2017, which was almost the exact same. It was in his left knee, it was in his other knee, but it was a small lateral tear in his meniscus. And it ended up requiring surgery to end his season. That is, and I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, they were tanking back then. Well, no, they they really weren't. Like Brian Colangelo very much wanted to make the playoffs that year. Joel Embiid definitely wanted to make the playoffs this year. The stakes weren't as high as they are now. But they weren't in sort of like that tanking mindset anymore. And also, if you remember, you know, so he 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 heard it against was it Portland, Portland. when he fell in twenty seventeen. Missed three games. I think they called it a knee contusion at the time. Came back, played against Daryl Morey and the Houston Rockets. Dropped thirty in like twenty eight minutes or whatever. And remember, then, remember
1: the be- remember the beginning of that game, monster dunk. Oh, he was he was incredible. Monet. He was incredible. He, he, he played a great game, but just you know, on, on that meniscus, huge dunk. On Oh, no, no, yeah. No, to start that game. He, yeah. But wasn't moving like awesome.
0: No. In that game. But the key was in the weeks afterwards, he had pretty bad swelling in that knee and he tried to practice. Swelling would pick up. He'd take a couple days off, try to practice again. Swelling would come back up. Remember when he played in that game, it wasn't reported. And I know that's because I reported it. It wasn't reported that he had a torn meniscus until like three weeks after that game. And then he wasn't ruled out for the rest of the season for another couple of weeks. Like he tried to come back from this. That is sort of the worst case scenario. If I had to guess, and it's just a guess, and like Rich and I both talk to people, but, you know, I think the if I had to summarize sort of the conversations, it is stated optimism with a little bit of a hint of acknowledgement that you just don't know. And with knees, especially, you just don't know. I would be stunned if he doesn't try to play on it. Like, I, I think on almost no world is he going to just get surgery and end his season. I don't think that's going to happen unless there's a pretty big setback. But I do worry, can he play for the next month on this and manage his pain, manage his swelling, not make it worse? I worry about that quite a bit. I have no idea what the next couple of weeks
1: hold. No idea. Yeah, it's really hard to reconcile torn meniscus and day-to-day. It's, yeah. It's tough. And I, look, I understand there there are different severities of this. Uh I actually am looking forward to talking about a doctor about the, the risks. And, you know, I, I believe just kind of in the little research I've done, you you can make it worse, yeah. um, which isn't a, a great part of this. I, I and part guess part of
0: this, this conversation is always going to be like, well, we don't have enough information. Even if we talk to a doctor, we can know what to look for. We can know what would potentially make it worse. But like, we're never going to know where the terror is exactly, you know, how I wouldn't even know the question to ask, but exactly what the nature of the terror is. Yeah, who knows?
1: you it, it's also tough to to reconcile optimism with the degree of uncertainty that there is here you know it, it took them a while to kind of figure out what this is uh like look it's it's clear that it was bothering him. you know it's funny like he got hurt he went on you know kind of a pretty wild drive and Lopez blocked his shot and he he honestly the first thing he grabbed was like his back, his tailbone. Yeah.
0: So if, if you go back and watch the replay, though, you
1: can see where
0: he lands and his, his, his knee buckles. You can see yeah. that. But then he fell on his hip and his back and he got up and he was grabbing his hip and his back and he went, all right, well, you can manage that. I think the pain of, of that fall just was more overwhelming than the pain in the knee at the time, probably.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it had to have been cuz I mean, he got up quickly too. Yeah. He got up quickly. They called it I think they called a timeout and and he walked right over to the bench and then he played a couple more minutes after that. Uh and I guess that's where the the knee the the pain started to uh to set in. Look, he he is definitely in some pain because he, here's how we know. He is in some pain. I have watched him have ridiculous falls throughout his career.
0: He hyperextended uh, his knee twice earlier in the season. This
1: season, I've seen it about eight times, whether it was his back, whether it was his knee, whatever. And and it looked painful, and it looked bad, and everybody was wondering initially, oh boy, like are we out for the season here at this point? And he came back and played in all of those games, a lot of whom, or a lot of uh, which, were against bad teams, shitty teams in the regular season. It didn't matter. So for him to miss not one, but two playoff games, you, you can tell that he is clearly in some pain. Now, I mean, will you know, a week off, like, you know, are the Sixers and I I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see something like what we saw with the, uh, the eye socket injury in, uh, in 2018, where they give him the first game off of this series. If they win, they might give him the second game off. See how long you can push it until he, uh, he comes back. I, I but I guess my big question in this I I'm sorry. Like this this really sucks like it there's just no other way to put it because if the Sixers are going to win the Eastern Conference even they need him at MVP yep. level. They need him and like look, they need him at the level that we saw in game 3 of the Wizards series in game 2. Like the level he was playing at when he was moving great Looked like his was. Body was in great shape. He was making every mid-range Dirk, crazy jumper possible. Like that's the guy that they need. Maybe not in this series, but definitely in the next series. Um, and my question is, like, is he gonna be super limited by this thing? You know, like, is it? It, it look. I actually think Joel Embiid, in one game, like if he was hurt. I would probably pick him over a lot of players to deal with the pain threshold because I have seen him deal with meniscus tears, you know, his back just completely aching and on all these different things. He's still awesome. Like, he's just, he's too big. He's too skilled, all of these things. But in a playoff series where you have to play every other day and swelling can pop up, yep. I just wonder, like, is he going to be at that MVP level? And that's why... You know, looking forward to the series, looking forward to the rest of the Sixers playoffs. It's hard to say anything definitive because this is such a variable that we really have no idea about. And really, like, do the Sixers have any idea about? Like, they, you know, th- there is some optimism. Like, they'll they'll definitely tell you. Like, look, we we think he's day to day. But uh, it, it would be awesome if he's able to play through this. But like, some of the examples you hear in the past are like Andrew bynum in 2010 like they don't they need more than andrew bynum they need they need joe B. like they need the hub of the offense and the the rim protector on defense this is not like a third big just looking to get offensive rebounds and score they need they need joe Embiid to be the mvp level player you've seen this here and i just i wonder you know if they're gonna get that that guy you know even even watching him shoot warm-up jump shots last night before the game um you know, it takes more than that. It's gonna take a lot of movement for uh for him to be that good. Yeah.
0: He he was the reason his growth, his development, his impact was the reason that they were a legitimate finals contender. Um if he is not that player, if he is not on the court, if he's not the same caliber of player, I I I don't see them making a run. I think there's still a chance they could beat the Hawks.
1: Yeah. We That's- can get into that. And that's a hard series, though, that if, is. if he's not so really well, involved.
0: Let's transition, because quite frankly, we don't know what's going to happen with Joel and his availability and the way he's going to look. He was out there shooting before the game in Game 5. He was doing a little bit of work there. So we will see how that reacts over the coming days. I do wonder a little bit, especially since you're playing at home, if you try to sneak out a win or two here at the Wells Fargo Center, uh, okay. given him what they play Sunday. So he would have last played. Um, when was Game 4? Was that Monday? Monday. So he would have had, if he doesn't play until, have they released the dates for game two and three or just game one?
1: If they have, I'm an idiot. And I just yeah. I haven't,
0: I haven't seen, it. I've only seen Sunday game one, but if he can go a solid week, week and a half there without playing on it, maybe that gives it a chance. I don't know. Um, but if let's say let's go under worst case scenario and he doesn't play, what do you think the odds are they have of winning this series? And we'll have a, a more detailed preview of the Hawks over the weekend, but what, just real quick, what do you think the odds are of them competing in this series?
1: I think they can compete, um the Hawks they got a lot of talent, and you know it's it's funny where if if Joe didn't have this injury, I think this would be a competitive five, yeah, maybe a not so competitive six you know if if it got to that, just because i I think he would ultimately dominate the series and put Capella in foul trouble and do the things necessary to neutralize this team. I still think they can compete like the these guys. I, you know, as much as we uh, we just talked about Ben, Ben and Tobias and Doc and the whole infrastructure of this team, I think they deserve a decent amount of respect from what they've done, kind of progressing in the regular season from, oh, my God, we can't compete with any starter available to, oh, we're actually pretty good when some starter isn't available. Like, we can uh, we, we can circle the wagons and figure something out here. Uh I don't know if I would pick them if Joe was like not available at all. But but I think it would be like a six or seven game series. I think it'd be
0: real close to a fifty fifty toss up. Yeah,
1: I I'm not I, I wouldn't like if you told me you thought the Sixers were gonna win and they got zero minutes out of Joe Embiid, I I don't think that's crazy by any means.
0: No. Yeah. No. I think it would be a, a like you said, six or seven game, pretty close to a toss up, even if Embiid doesn't play. If Embiid does play, I think they're pretty prohibitive favorites. Like you said, five five games um like more competitive five games but five or six at max probably more five my concern here is okay so and, and credit the doc I think for going small a lot in game 5 and not just small with Mike Scott but small with other combinations because Mike small Scott doesn't
1: <laughs> Mike Scott he doesn't count as small it's that's that's bad
0: it's it's just it's it's slow without the big man benefits um <sighs> And quite frankly, for much of the year without shooting. And and to be honest, in game four, Mike Scott was better than Dwight Howard, which really kind of shows you the struggles they could have. But my concern going small, where Simmons is very legitimately the five, especially in this series, is, okay, now Clint Capella can roam. He can roam off ball. Um, he's not going to get completely overwhelmed by Simmons' speed. And he's going to be able to help off of Simmons. How do you make it so that Clint, Clint Capella has to worry about Ben Simmons when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Uh, I think that will be very key because I think the Sixers are going to have to score at a high volume because, look, the Sixers, even without Embiid, are, you know, we, we just spoke a lot throughout the season of people would make too much out of, well, the Sixers are well-equipped to defend Brooklyn. But no, nobody's actually well-equipped to defend Brooklyn. Well, the Sixers are actually pretty well-equipped to not stop Trey Young, because nobody's going to stop Trey Young, but to make his life difficult With Simmons, with Theibel, I think that would be real interesting to see how they combat that. But the Hawks are still going to score. They're a really good offensive team. You have to find a way to consistently execute in the half court. That is going to come down to a lot of, okay, well, what can you do with Simmons off ball? Because that's one area, again, where I don't think Doc has been super creative in what he has done. And that's going to be a lot more impactful when they have a, a shot blocker and a weak side Rim protector like Capella. that will be an interesting chess match if Embiid can't play.
1: Uh, one thing Doc is good at, though, and for some reason, like it's w- was Tibbs in in Boston, just like literally only watching the defense. Was was that the only thing he watched when he was the assistant coach? It was certainly Doc? his
0: primary responsibility. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but but did you did you ever glance at what Doc did on the offensive end? Did you ever have a discussion, maybe a little bit of like, hey, here's how you attack a matchup. If you have somebody like Trey Young on the floor, Tibbs, I think you should probably try and make that dude work on yeah. the defensive end. And again, the, the Knicks do not have nearly the talent the Sixers do on the offensive end. But one thing Tibbs didn't do was like, he didn't screen with Reggie Bullock nearly as much as he should have and, and put Trey in isolation defense against some of the Knicks better players. Just not nearly enough of that. Guess what? Trey Young, who is awesome offensively and he's awesome. I think in a scarier way than Beale. Because Beal is just kind of a guy to me who is this world-class scorer and gets buckets, but he doesn't no. pull the strings of the whole offense yep. like Trey does. Trey, can, he can hit those bombs, but he also, like in pick and roll, he could obviously great lob threat to Capella, can shoot floaters all day on you. But like, look, For if you are a help, guy
0: his size, great skip pass. like He unbelievable. can hit every pass in the book, yep.
1: That might be his best skill. The fact that he can throw that, Bullets skip pass to the corner, despite being a short guy for the NBA, is is really impressive. Really great left-handed passer. Just a super skilled dude who, he reminds me of a quarterback running an offense. Like, he's got everything taken care of. And he's got his fingerprints on where every player is on the offensive end. Now, is it a little bit tough to play with at times when things aren't going well? I imagine, because he is dominating the ball quite a bit, but it it seems like they have it rolling. I, I'm just telling you right now though, I'd imagine they put him on Seth Curry to start if they do play man to man. Seth Curry is going to be they're gonna be doing two things. One, you know, if Capella's on Simmons handoff game, Simmons is going to be leveling Trey Young with those screens on the dribble handoffs. And the other thing is that they'll run two man game with Tobias where All right, you want a hard hedge, Trey Young? Look, this is something that Seth's going to have to deal with on the other end of the court. But you want a hard hedge? Great. Like, Tobias is going to make you work, and Doc is going to keep doing it over and over again, not only to get a positive matchup for the Sixers offensively, but to tire you out for the other end of the court. And uh, I think, like, Trey Young was awesome in that Knicks series, even without Embiid. And again, like, I I don't know. Like, maybe we do get Embiid, and, and he's awesome. The Sixers are a different level than the Knicks. They're, they're not only more malleable, but they have more talent.
0: Yeah. No, I agree 100%. I don't, I don't think Atlanta switches nearly as much as Washington does, so I don't think you're going to get quite as many mismatches. But you're right. Force Trey to go, go through screens, go through bigs, go through Simmons. Um, they, they should be able to exploit him pretty constantly. Uh, you, you need to take advantage of it, though. Take advantage of it. But Honestly, it'll be a fun series. I like watching Atlanta play. They make both teams exciting to watch. Uh, Atlanta is super exciting as an offensive team. And the team playing Atlanta's defense is usually pretty exciting too. They have real legitimate strengths that go beyond just like Washington. And he brought it up. Washington has a legitimate strengths in terms of players. Atlanta has an offensive identity and they have Mm -hmm. pieces that fit well together. They will, they'll be a much bigger test. Um, I do think six have a chance without him beat. I'm not ready to make a prediction. Fully, but I do think they have a chance. And if Embiid comes back and looks like Embiid, which, I mean, knock on wood, we all hope, but who really knows? I, hope, I, think, I hope we
1: have to revise our predictions after game one when he's awesome.
0: Yes, I, 100%, um, but no idea, no idea. So we'll find out more about that here in the coming days. Um, Sunday is when, do we have a time? We should probably figure this out.
1: I think it's one o'clock. I think it's another one bad o'clock. NFC game start.
0: Um, so uh, one o'clock on Sunday, we will have a preview pod for the series over the weekend good win wrapped it up quickly gives me the chance to have a couple days off here we'll see what happens but thank you rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon
1: see you man